had an all-nighter uh, Friday night, and uh, that was uh, a very long night, but a very fun night. We had 18 teams come out, so that was a, a huge blessing, uh, so I was super, super excited about that. We're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 19 tonight, so if you brought your Bible or if you have it on your phone or however you have a copy of God's Word, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 19. We've been in a series on Sunday nights uh, called Growing from Failures, and we've been going through all of the fa- or the biggest failures of the Old Testament, and we've been learning from those failures, and we've been trying to learn two things. We've been trying to learn what we can do to prevent these same types of failures in our life, and then we've also been learning the heart of God in those failures. When we fail, what's God's heart toward us? What What's God's character? Who, who is God when we fail Him? And so we've been going through in a couple of different ones. Last week we learned about Abraham and the failure of unbelief. We've learned about Joshua and the failure of overconfidence. We've learned uh, about um, we learned about David, David, and the failure of lust. Yeah. So we've learned about all a couple of these so far, and then tonight we're going to be learning about Lot and the failure of compromise. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter nineteen tonight. You, you know, you have these stories that your parents tell about you, uh, about when you were younger, and a lot of times you don't remember the stories. How many of you guys have some of those stories where your parents, they'll tell you the story, but you don't remember it happening, and most of the time they're really, really embarrassing stories. I have a couple of those. My dad tells the story. Uh, we went to um, Indiana. My, my grandparents lived in Indiana when I was younger, and we took a trip over to Indiana, and uh, we drove there, and it was the 4th of July, and so we had all the fireworks going off. We, we had everything going on, but you normally have on the 4th of July, and we had sparklers, right? That is like the kids' like best thing to have on 4th of July. It's the only day out of the year that kids, their parents put fire in their kids' hands. I don't know why they do it. I don't know why we decided it's a good idea, but we, we decided it's a good idea to give kids sparklers on 4th of July, and so that's what my parents did. They told me when I was about five years old, they gave me a sparkler, and I, I, I had this thing, and I was super excited. You know, it's dark outside. And you can, like, draw in the air with your sparkler. And so I'm, like, writing my name, like, trying to, you know, I'm having fun. And then all of a sudden, I got this really awesome idea. Uh, I looked at the sparkler, and I said, this would be really cool if I could touch it. I don't know what was going on in my dumb five-year-old mind. But I, I, I thought, if I could just grab a hold of this fire, that would be, like, my life would be complete. I, I would, that would be great. And so I, what I did is I, I took my hand, and I looked at the sparkler, and I grabbed it. And I just, in case any of you didn't know, it's not a good idea to grab sparklers. It hurts. It hurts really bad. Uh, and so I grabbed it, and all of a sudden, ow, you know, I start crying, and, and I throw a sparkler on the ground, and my dad just looks at me with utter disappointment. And, uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> he came over, and he helped me. And, uh, and so I thought it would be a good idea. I thought the results would be good. I thought it would, I thought it would be fun, but the results were damaged. I thought it would be fun. I, I thought it was going to have good results, but the result, results, weren't what I thought they were going to be. The results were damaged. So tonight we're going to learn about the failure of compromise. And what we're going to learn tonight is that compromise, while it might seem good, or while it might seem fun at the time, compromise is always damaging. Compromise, trying to be more like the world than we are like Jesus is always damaging. Compromise, it's just seeking, it's seeking temporal pleasure rather than eternal riches. That's what compromise is. It's seeking, what can I do now? What can I, what can I be now? What, what can I be, what can I have that's more like the world than like Jesus? Uh, are you trying to be more like out there than you are like in here? You're, you're, tra- you're compromising. You're trying to be more like the world than you are Jesus. 
and it is always damaging. Last week we learned about Abraham and his failure of unbelief. And we learned that when, when Abraham left his home country, God, you know, he tells Abraham, hey, leave, leave your hometown, leave your home country and go out. And I'm not going to tell you where to go yet, but I just want you to go. And we learned during, in that chapter that the Abraham or Abram took his, his nephew Lot with him, right? And so then we learn later on in scripture that Abraham and Lot's herdsmen, the people that are watching both of their sheep, they're not getting along too well. They start fighting, they start bickering, oh, this is my sheep's grass, no, this is my sheep's grass, and they start going back and forth, they're getting upset with each other, they begin to fight, and so Abraham and Lot, they go to the side, and Abram, he's wise, he's smart, and so he looks at at Lot, and he says, hey, Lot, you know what, we're we're family, uh, you're my nephew, I don't want there to be anything in between us, I don't want there to be any conflict, and so here's what we can do. There's the land on the right side, or the left side, and then there's the land on the right side. And so, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you choose which land you want to go to. I'm going to let you pick which land you want. And so, you can either go to the left or to the right. And if you go to the left, then I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And we're going to make sure that our herdsmen don't have this conflict anymore, because I don't want there to be anything between us. And so, what does Lot do? The Bible says he looks up, and he sees how the plains of Jordan, how they were there was good water and there was good grass. And so Lot says, you know what, I'm going to go over to that side. And we know that on that side where, where the Jordan was, was the same area of these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And during this time in history, Sodom and Gomorrah is the equivalent to, to our Las Vegas, right? I mean, nobody wants to go to Las Vegas. I've been to Las Vegas before. I don't know why anyone would ever want to go to Las Vegas. It, it's a terrible place. It, it's a place full of evil Full of adultery, full of, you know, all of this different kinds of evil. And that's what, that's what Sodom and Gomorrah is. It's this place that is just evil, awful. There's all this sin, you know, homosexuality, adultery. People are sleeping with each other who, who aren't their spouse. I mean, it's a really terrible place. And so we, we know that. We know it has that, that reputation even during this time. It's an awful place. But we learn in Ezekiel 16 that the homosexuality and the adultery and that all of that stuff wasn't the sin of Sodom. The Bible says in Ezekiel 16, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. So Ezekiel, he's getting ready to tell us, Hey, this is what Sodom did wrong. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the foreign So Ezekiel, he says, that, Hey, look, this is the problem. This was the problem with Sodom. They were prideful. They didn't need God. They had enough. They didn't feel like they needed God. They had abundance of idleness. They were lazy. And it's interesting that they had all these big sins. And we all, we all, all the time, we're always, oh, Sodom, you know, they had homosexuality and adultery. And we always focus on these big sins. But it's, it's those little sins that, that was where it started. It's the pride. It's the idleness. It's the laziness. It's not being, not doing what God wants us to do. And that's just on the side. That's for free, like Pastor always said. So, um, <laughs> so we know we have this place, Sodom. And so God comes to Abram, right? He comes to Abram, he says, Abram, I've seen the sin in the city of Sodom. It's evil, it's wicked, I hate it, and so I'm going to destroy Sodom. And by this time, Genesis chapter 14, we know that Lot is living in Sodom, right? He, he's there, he's in Sodom, and so Abram knows that. He says, God, all right, look, look, look. If there is 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you, will you spare the city? God says, yes, sure. And we know the story, right? Abram, he talks God down to, to, to 10 people, right? He says, God, if there's 10 people that are righteous in, in Sodom, will you destroy the city? God says, no, okay. If there's 10 righteous people in Sodom, I'm not going to destroy the city. 
So God looks, and there's not ten righteous people. Think about it. The entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and not ten people who trust in the promise. We think our country, not ten. That's how evil, that's how wicked this place is. And we know in First Peter there was at least one righteous person in the city. At least one. The Bible says this in Second in, in Peter, sorry, in Second Peter 2, it says, Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto all those that should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot. Right? That word just, it's righteous. Right? What Lot was, he, he trusted in the promises of God. We're going to see Lot in heaven one day. He was, he was a believer. Right? So Lot, he, he, we know that there was at least one righteous man in the city who was Lot. Not righteous because of what he did, but righteous because he trusted in the promises of God. So we know that there's at least one. And so let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 19. We're going to start reading verse number And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up his face toward his, sorry, he rose up to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground and said, Behold, now, my lords, I turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night. And wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and he turned in unto, unto him, or they turned in unto him, and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did break unleavened bread, and they did so we, what we see in these first couple verses is that Lot, he's in Sodom. We know that, right? We know from Genesis 14, Lot is now living in Sodom. It's his place of residence. He's been in Sodom for a while now. But what we see in verse number one is that Lot just isn't in Sodom. These two angels, they're coming into the city, and the reason that they're there is to, to bring Lot out of the city. And when they find Lot, we're sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now, for us, we, in, in our Western culture, we really don't understand that. But in Eastern culture, to sit at the gate of a city was to be high up, right? Lot was, Lot was there. He was at the gate of the city because he had worked his way up the ladder. He was an important guy. He was an, he was an official, right? He was there for a reason. He, he was probably working. He's sitting at the gate of the city. Lot is an important person in Sodom. Now, Lot is a believer. The Bible says that he's a just man. Because he's placed his faith in the promises of God. But Lot is, a, is an official in Sodom. He's confident. He's decided to be more like the world around him than the God that lives in him. How often do we do the same thing? Every time. Not sometimes. Not every now and then. But every single time we compromise and try to be more like the world around us than the God that lives within us. It is always damaged. Always. But why? Why is compromise? Why is trying to be more like the world than we are Jesus? Why is it so dangerous? Why does it matter? Why, why is it so dangerous to compromise? And so tonight we're going to look at some results of Lot's life that, that, that came from compromise. We're, we're going to look at some results of Lot's compromise. The first result that we see in this passage is that your compromise, when you compromise, you will become more like your environment than you are like that. You'll become more like your environment than you are like God. Look at verse number five. These angels, they come in the city. And in verse number four, the Bible says, sorry, we'll start at verse number four. But before they lay down, the men of the city of, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, 
compassed the house around, compassed the house around, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. So these men, right, they come, they're outside of Lot's house, they're banging on the door as they're about to lay down. So it's late at night, but this city, it's still going. It's, it doesn't sleep, right? It, they're, they're still out, they're partying, and they come to Lot's house, they're banging on the door, and the Bible says this, verse number five, and they called unto Lot, and said unto him, where are the men which came in to thee this night? So Lot, right, in the first couple verses, he invites these men in. They say no at first, and then they're, finally Lot presses them. Okay, fine, we'll let you come in, or we'll come into your house. And Lot feeds them. He, he houses them. He's being hospitable to them. And they call, these men call unto Lot. They say, hey, where's the man? Where's the men that you let into your house that we may know them? And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after. And he said, I pray you, brethren, do not do so wickedly. Behold now, listen to this. Behold now, I have two dogs, which have not known them. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. These guys, banging on the door of Lot's house late at night, and they saw these angels, these two guys, right? They're taking the form of, of humans right now. And so they saw these two guys go in, to Lot's house, and so they're outside, they're banging on the door of Lot's house, and they're like, hey, let them come out, be why? Because they wanted to do inappropriate things with them. That's how evil and wicked Sodom was. They wanted to do evil things with these men. And Lot comes out, and there's something we need to understand about Eastern culture, and that's hospitality over there, even today, is everything. And so when you invite someone, when the Bible talks about inviting someone under your roof, or taking someone in, it's not like we are today. If I were to invite Pastor over to my house, I'm not really responsible for him. Like, sure, I'll feed him. It's courteous, but it's not something that, that I would be shamed for if I say, okay, it's 10 o'clock. You should probably leave, right? But in Eastern culture, it's different. In Eastern culture, when you invited someone into your house, you were responsible for them until you left. Until they left your house, you were responsible for feeding them for their well-being, for taking care of them. You're responsible for all that. And so Lot, he invites these men into his house. And so now Lot, he's responsible. He's trying to be hospitable. But in these verses, he takes his hospitality too far. He takes it too far. Think about how evil and selfish what Lot does here. These men are knocking on the door. Hey, Lot, bring these men out so that we can know them. And Lot comes out the door. He, the Bible says that he he creeps out of the door. Kind of like, kind of like when there's a... Somebody at your door that you don't want to let into your house. You, you've all been there, right? There's somebody at the door you don't want to let them in, so you kind of like crack the door just enough so you can get out and then step out like that. That's kind of what Lot does, right? He shuts the door behind him. And so he, he's, he's out there, he, he's talking to them, and he says, hey, you know what? Rather than you taking my guests and doing whatever you want with them, I have two daughters that aren't married, never been married. You can take, you can take them, you can do whatever you want with them. Think about how evil that statement. And we look, we look at, that statement. And we're like, how in the world could a dad, how can, how in the world could someone do this? But yet we look at Second Peter in the Bible calls him. Because here's what Lot did. In this culture, that was not something that was safe. Like your purity was not safe. And so all Lot was doing was being like the culture. He had become more like Sodom than he was like that. I wonder, is there an area of your life tonight where you are more <laughs> like Brooklyn, South Dakota? than you are like Is there an area of your life where you are more like this current world? Is there an area of your life where you are seeking temporal pleasure rather than 
eternal riches. Because that's exactly what Lot was doing. He's trying to save himself. He's trying to save his company. And so what does he do? He, he's just being like the world around. When you compromise to this world, you begin to think like this world. That's what Lot was doing. He, he's just thinking like everyone else in Sodom does, right? This isn't a big deal. It's not a huge deal, right? Purity isn't something that we need to, to hold on to. And so Lot just said, you know what? You could just have my daughters for the night. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. And we look at it as a big deal. But for Lot, it wasn't. Why? Because he was more like the world around him than the God is. And when you compromise to be more like this world, the things that are important to God will no longer be important. Lot's problem was that he had spent so much time in a place that was so sinful that he became just like he's just like. And I wonder, is the same thing happening to you? Like, do you spend so much time on social media that you have become discontent with your own life because you don't have what they have and you don't have what that other person has? And because you have spent so much time in something that holds a lot of evil, not saying that it is evil, but it holds a lot of evil, you have become discontent with your life. Have you spent so much time on Fox News that the only thing that you do now is worry? Because you spent so much time doing something that was that was apart from God that you no longer trust God. Compromise. Compromise always. And we begin to think, oh, everybody else is doing it. Yeah, everybody else, they, they're on Instagram all the time. Everybody else, they, they're always watching the news. When I go over to these people's house, they, they always have Fox News on all day. And they seem pretty successful. And so I'm going to go home and I'm going to do it. Or, you know, hey, this person, they're, they're watching these kind of movies. So I feel like it'd probably be okay for me. I know... I know that there's a lot of immorality in this movie. I know that I'm going to be tempted later when I'm when I'm sitting there and thinking about what I saw in that movie. I know I'm going to be tempted, but you know what? It'll be okay. I'll be fine. Everybody else does it. And this is why. Look, this is why spending time in God's Word every single day is so crucial for us as Christians. This is why. Because if we go throughout our entire life and we go throughout our day and we never spend time in God's Word, we're not renewing our mind with, with what God says. All we're doing is allowing Satan to put the philosophies of this world into our mind. I heard a preacher say recently that spending time in God's Word isn't about having a religious activity. It's not. Spending time in God's Word is not about having a religious activity. It's a mode of survival. Because if we don't spend time in God's Word, we will not survive as Christians. You'll give into temptation. You'll, you'll become more like this world than you are, Jesus. You will spend time with God. This is what happens a lot. You don't see Lot spending time with God's people. God was, Lot wasn't going over to, to Abram's house and spending time with him. God wasn't worshiping. Lot wasn't worshiping the God of Abraham. No, he was just sitting in Sodom. Because where you spend time, listen, where you spend time is what you will become. And so if you spend more time in this world doing things that you want to do, spending time doing things that, that you think are fun, and there's a time for this. But if you spend more time with doing things that you want to do than you do in God's Word, that's what you'll become. Because where you spend time is what you become. That's what happened to Lot. He spent time in Sodom, and he became like So where are you spending your time? Where do you spend the most time? Look throughout your... Where do you spend your money? Where you spend your resources determines <laughs> what you become. So these men... They say no. Praise the Lord. They say, no, we don't want your daughters. We want these guys. And so send them out. And, and they basically tell Lot. They're like, hey, if you don't send these guys out, we're going to be worse to you than we would have to them. So send them out right now. And they're having this conversation. And the Bible says that one of these angels, like they're in the house. They're listening to this whole conversation. And if I'm those angels, I'm like rooted out right now. 
So um, it, he like reaches out the door, right, and grabs Lot. And the Bible says he pulls him into the house. He shuts the door. And the Bible says immediately the men outside were stricken with blindness. So all these guys outside, they can't find the door. They're all blind. They all lost their sight. And, and so then we get to verse number 12. Verse number 12, the Bible says this. And the men said unto Lot, Haste thou here, hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And so the angels, they tell Lot, they're like, hey, we're going to destroy the city. We're going to destroy everything around the city. We're going to destroy everyone in the city. And so here's what you need to do. You need to get all your family. You need to get your daughters. You need to get your wife. You need to get all your possessions. And you need to take them out of the city. That's what he needs to do. They give him a clear, like, this is what you need to do. You need to get all of your stuff. You need to get all of your family. You need to take them out of the city. Look at verse number 14. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy us, or will destroy this city. And so Lot, he goes to his sons-in-law. These are the guys that married his daughters, right? And so they know Lot pretty well. They, they know they know what Lot does. They know, like, they know, they're pretty close to Lot, probably more than most other men in the city. They know who Lot is. And so Lot goes to them, and he says, Hey, God is going to destroy the city because it is so wicked. So we need to get out. We, you need to get my daughters. You need to get all your stuff together. We need to leave the city like tonight. We're, we need to leave. We need to get out. And what does the Bible say? Verse number 14. Look at the end of the verse. Up, oh, get you out of this place. For the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son. Lot is like pleading at this point. Like, like, we need to get out. We need to go. Like, God is going to destroy this city. And the Bible says that his sons-in-law looked at him as if he was crazy. God's going to destroy the city? You sound like crazy. And you have to see it from their perspective because they know Lot. And in their mind, Lot, he's saying, hey, God's going to destroy the city. God's going to do all these things. And the the, the sons are like, Lot, what are you talking about? God? What's different about you? Why would God tell you about it? Lot, you've worked your way up in Sodom just like we have. Lot, maybe they even looked at Lot as a role model for their life. Lot, I mean, he does the same things that everybody else in Sodom does. He, he, he spends, he's worked his way up. He's sitting at the gate of the city. He's an official in the city. He's, he's doing the same stuff as everyone else in the city. And because of that, he tries to tell his sons-in-law about a coming judgment, and they don't believe him. Because our second point is that when you compromise, you discredit your testimony. I wonder if the same thing happens. I wonder if the same thing has happened in your life. Like, what if we went and you tried to share the gospel? You, you try to tell one of your coworkers at work or, or your, maybe your neighbor, like, hey, God, he, he came down to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ and he lived the life that you couldn't live so that you could have salvation and all you have to do is place your faith in his death and resurrection as payment for your sins and that's all you have to do and you can spend eternity with God in heaven. I wonder if their reaction would be like, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. I mean, you... you you yell at your wife just like I do. You, you, you use terrible language with your kids just like just like I do. You drink just as much as I do. You listen to the same music as I do. I mean, I watch you every single day. There's nothing different about you. And so if there's nothing different about you, why should I pay for my faith in this Jesus guy if, he, if he's not changing? I wonder, has your compromise, you becoming more like this world, has it discredited, discredited your testimony? 
Because the Bible tells us that it did lie. Paul, when he was writing to the Romans in, in Romans chapter two, he, he's writing in Romans two. He's writing to the Jewish people, and he's t- he's telling them about how sinful they are. He's telling he basically spends the first chapter talking about how Gentiles are evil. Spends the second chapter talking about how Jewish people are evil as well, religious people, right? How, how evil, even if you're trying to be religious, you're trying to do the right thing, you're still evil. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter two, Paul tells Jewish people, "Hey, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you." Paul says, hey, look, because of the way you are living, because of how judgmental you are, and because of all the sin that you do, and you still claim to know God, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. And I wonder if the same thing is happening in Brooklyn Church. Like, is the name of God blasphemed because of the way we live? Like, do people look at your life, and do they say, man, that God can't change anything, because you're not allowing it. So Lot, he's in a bit of a picture. Because now he's going to have two daughters in the city when it is destroyed. Why? Because he didn't live with a good person. So let's look at verse number 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hasted Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, not four, two, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. So the next day comes, these angels, they say, Lot, you got to get out of the city. Today's the day. God's going to destroy the city. So you need to get out. Take your daughters. Take your stuff. You need to get out of the city. You need to leave. And look at verse number 16. And while he lingered, while he lingered, Lot's just taking his time. Yeah, I know God's going to destroy the city, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, i, I got to gather my stuff. He's taking his time. He's making sure he gets all the pictures off the wall, right? You can't forget grandma's picture, and so she's taking that off. He's putting that in the suitcase. Like, we can't forget this family heirloom and this family heirloom. And most of us, if we're in this situation, we're like, we're getting out. Like, we're running out of the city. God's about to destroy this place with fire and brimstone. And and Lot is just taking his time. Why? Because when you compromise, you will be more attracted to this world than you are to obedience. Listen to that. When you compromise, you will be more attracted to this world than you are to obedience. That's what's happened in the law. He doesn't want to leave his home. He's so attracted to what he has in Sodom that he really does, he's not that hasty to obey what God wants. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really want to. He, he doesn't really want to obey God because he's more attracted to what's going on there. I wonder if I asked you, what are you more attracted to? What are you more attracted to? Are you more attracted to the stuff that's going on in this world or are you more attracted to God? And, and many of us, we would say, oh no, I'm more attracted to Jesus. I'm more attracted to God. Like, I, I'm more attracted to His Word. I, you know, you know, I, I, I'm more attracted to God. But I want you to listen to the question. What are you more attracted to? Not, do you go to church? Not, are you here on Sunday night? Not, do you, do you spend five minutes in the Bible? That wasn't the question. What are you more attracted to? Because what you are attracted to is what you'll spend time with. And a lot of us, a lot of us, we, we force ourselves, we get out, oh man, I, I don't want to go to church. And a lot of times, we'll spend our life, like, like, not regretting, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not wanting to go to church, and we'll spend our life not wanting to read God's word, and we'll, and there's a place for discipline. There's a place for, for all of that, but we spend our life doing it, and then all of a sudden we stop. Because it's never real for us. We never, we never were attracted to that. We never were attracted to, to what he had for us. We never were, were attracted to the person of Jesus. We just wanted to look religious. What are you more attracted? Because it's it's a cycle. It's an endless cycle. Where you spend time is what you become. And the more you become that, the more you want to spend time. And so at some point, you have to break the cycle. At some point, you have to decide 
hey, I'm going to discipline myself for right now so that eventually I can be so much more attracted to Jesus. Because attraction, it doesn't just come. Attraction isn't something that, that uh, I mean, maybe immediately, but when I was attracted, like immediately, at first glance, I was attracted to Gabby when I first saw Right? Physically, I, I was attracted to her. I, I thought she was beautiful, I, I, but that's not the reason I married. Because although there was a physical attraction, I know that eventually, Gabby's not going to be attracted, attract, attracted to everybody else. Eventually, in time. Like, we're both going to get old. I'm not going to be as amazingly attractive as I am right when I'm 85 years old. But the reason I'm going to be attracted to Gabby when, I, when we're both 85 is because I've spent time. The reason Lot was not attracted to God because he didn't spend time. And you become attracted to where you spend time. And some of you are struggling because you're like, man, I don't feel a love for Jesus. I don't feel a love for, for, for God. I don't feel a love for his word. I don't feel, I don't feel. Maybe it's just because you time. Because where you spend time is where you're attracted. But Jesus he said this, he said, no man can serve too much. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. But Jesus is saying, hey, you can't be a slave to this world and a servant of God. You can't. It's impossible. So where, where are you, what are you serving? Are you serving yourself and your world? Or are you serving God? Where are you spending your time? What are you attracting? What areas of your life are you seeking temporal pleasure rather than eternal because God promises that one day it's going to be worth it. He promises that the suffering that we experience on this earth for him, it'll be worth it. It may not be worth it in this life, but it'll be worth it eventually. So what area, think about that this week. What, what areas of your life are you confident? So we, we know that this series is all about learning from failures, but then it's also about learning God's heart in our failures. So what in the world, think about it. What in the world can we learn about God through this story? I mean, this just seems like, I mean, Lot, he, he, he's, he's an evil person, at least at face value he is. Bible calls him just and righteous. Like, what does this tell? What in the world can we learn about God? The first thing we can learn about God is that He's merciful. God is merciful. Look at verse number sixteen. And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of the two elders, the Lord being merciful unto him, and brought him forth and set him without the city. See, even in Lot's stupidity, while he's lingering in the city, not, not doing anything, not obeying God. God still brings him out of the city. He doesn't allow him to experience the judgment with Sodom, even though he had made so many dumb decisions. God brings him out of the city. And that's an amazing picture of our salvation. Because even though we make dumb decisions, even though we, we compromise and we try to become more like this world, even though we do things that God is not pleased with, God will not allow us to experience the judgment as long as we place our faith in Jesus, no matter what. Think about that. No matter what sin you do, no matter what, what, no matter what you do in this life, if you place your faith in Jesus, He will not place that judgment. The Bible says that He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. He, he, he but the Bible tells us that He's, He's, uh, He's, He chooses not to remember our iniquity. He's merciful. And when's the last time that you sat down and you thought about all the times that you failed God and just said, Give me mercy. Because He has me. He's been merciful. And I don't want you to think, like, this doesn't give us a license to compromise. It motivates us not. Because the more you realize that God has given me so much, God has been so merciful, I'm going to live the way that he wants I'm going to share the gospel the way that he wants me to share the gospel. I'm going to do the things that he wants me to do. God's merciful. And then the second thing that we can learn from God is that God can redeem evil. God can redeem evil. 
Look at verse 37. 37. When I saw this in my office this week, I called Pastor in, and I was laughing. <laughs> because I was thinking about how good God is. Look at verse number 37. Actually, first, before I do this, I want to tell us a little bit of what happens after Lot leaves the city. Lot leaves the city. He goes up into this mountainous place. He makes a home in this cave, right? And so his daughters, his two daughters, his wife, as she was leaving the city, the angels told them, hey, don't look behind you. Don't look back at the city, because if you do, God's going to judge you. And so what does Lot's wife do? Lot's wife does exactly what Lot did. She was more attracted to the city. And so as they're running out, she disobeys God. She looks back at what used to be her home as it's being destroyed, and she turns into a pillar of salt. She dies. She's dead. So Lot doesn't have a wife anymore. And so now it's just Lot and his two daughters. And they go up to this cave. And they're in the cave. And his daughters, they, they begin to talk to him. And they say, you know, there's nobody up here. There's no men. We're not going to be able to have children because there's no guys up here. And so why don't we just have children from our father? And so they get their dad drunk. They commit incest with their father. And both of them get pregnant. And this is uncomfortable for us. Like we read this in scripture and we're like kind of like squeamish about these stories in scripture. These are the... Stories in scripture that when I tell these stories in youth group, half the teenagers are like, how in the world did God redeem something like that? Something as evil and wicked as, as people getting pregnant from their father. Look at verse 37. And the firstborn bear son, his firstborn daughter, which he is birth, he called his name Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. He gives birth to a little boy named Moab. And later on in scripture, we know that the Moabites, they're, they're enemies of Israel for a really long time. But later on, during the time of the judges, we're told about another Moabite. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth, she marries an Israelite, and, and, and her Israelite husband, she dies, or he dies. And so her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they come back to Israel, and she marries a man, Ruth does, whose name is Boaz. He redeems her, he, he takes her into his house, he, he makes her his wife. Keep in mind, she's a Moabite. Here's what the Bible says. Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. And Solomon, he got Boaz. So Solomon is Boaz's father, he got Boaz. And Boaz, he got Obed. Ruth and Boaz, Boaz, the Moabite, Ruth, has a child whose name is Obed. And Obed, he got Jesse. And Jesse, he got David. And so Ruth, who would not have been there unless this situation in Genesis 19 gives way to the Messiah. So in Jesus' lineage, we have Lot and God. And some of us, we spend our whole life and for like, and some of you here tonight, hey man, I don't know how God could use me after I made these terrible decisions and I've made so many awful decisions in my life. And I, God could never use me. God could never redeem this situation. But friend, if God could redeem a situation as evil as this and use it to give way to the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world, God can redeem you. And God can use you, not even, not, not always even in spite of your sin. God can use the decisions that you've made. Because no, nothing that you have done is unredeemed. And I think this passage clearly shows that. So this week, analyze your life. Look at your life. Look at the areas that you're compromising. And ask God to change your affection. Ask him to, to, to help you to desire him more than you do this world. Then also this week, look at what God did in your life. Look at how merciful God has been in your life. Spend some time just meditating on his grace and how he has used situations in your life to be redemptive. And maybe he has been But maybe you have a situation in your life that you have been experiencing guilt for for years. Maybe tonight is time for you to just give it to God. Thank you for forgiving you and allow him to redeem that situation for you to help others. Father, thank you.